It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather, and he who controls the weather will control the world. Let's kick this broadcast off with a bombshell report. If you think your government, that's absolutely working with other criminal governments around the world, wouldn't wage biological warfare against innocent, unknowing populations all over the world, think again. Please listen carefully to the following beyond shocking testimony by internationally renowned Dr. David Martin, given at the European Parliament International COVID Summit. It is... A, it is a particularly interesting location for me to be sitting today, given that over a decade ago I sat in this very chair right here in the European Union Parliament. And at that time I warned the world of what was coming. Uh, during that conversation that was hosted at the time by the Green and EFA and a number of the other parties of the European Union's Uh, various representations, we were having a conversation on whether Europe should adopt the United States policy of allowing for the patents on biologically derived materials. And at the time, I urged this body and I urged people around the world that the weaponization of nature against humanity had dire consequences. Tragically, I sit here today Um, with that unfortunate line that I don't like to say, which I told you so. But the fact of the matter is we're here not for a reprisal on past decisions. We're here to actually, once again, come to the face of the human condition and ask the question, who do we want to be? What do we want humanity to look like? And rather than seeing this as an exercise in futility, which is very easy from time to time when you're in the position I'm in, I actually see this not as an exercise in futility. I see this as one of the greatest opportunities that faces us because we now have a public conversation, which is now front and center in people's minds. When this was an esoteric conversation about biological patents, nobody cared. But when that conversation came home, then it became something people can care about. My role today is to set the stage for this conversation in a historical context, because this did not come in the last three years. This did not come in the last five or six years. This actually is an ongoing question that probably began here in Europe in the early stages of the mid-1900s, but certainly by 1913, 1914, this conversation started right here in Central Europe. The pandemic that we alleged to have happen in the last few years also did not happen overnight. In fact, the very specific pandemic using coronavirus began in a very different time. (laughs) Most of you don't know that coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious, replicatable viral models that could be used to modify a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. 
But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. And you heard me correctly, that was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. But in 1966, the very first COV coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And you heard the date, 1966. I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born, we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering. And I want that to chill with all of you. Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we? as a human civilization, when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen for the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That conversation wasn't had. Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. And in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, by the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as an infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed, are you ready for this, in 1990. Did you hear what I just said? 1990. Operation Warp Speed? I'm sorry. Where's the warp and the speed? Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that we were, we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now, now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. And who would have thought? Pfizer. Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. But oh yes, they did. And in 1990 they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. They didn't work. you know why they didn't work? 
It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. And there are thousands of publications to that effect, not a few hundred. And not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Barrick in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. And that science has never been disputed. But then we had an interesting development in 2002. And this date is most important. Because in 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Listen to those words, infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language, let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work, patented at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. (gasps) Dave, are you suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory? in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. We engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. And in 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense that we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. But let's get something very clear. When the CDC in April of 2003 filed a patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? 
They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the Patent Office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us because it turns out that the RT-PCR which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003, 20 years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, this particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent. It's official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain-of-function moratorium, the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain-of-function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain-of-function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended, because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. And what, you might ask, Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was W. IV-1, Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1, poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, in that phrase, the word release. 
Does that sound like leak? Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market and hung out and had sex and, and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2? No. Accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used. And four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right in front of you on the screen. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. Let's, let's read this, because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at the emergency threshold, it is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, he said, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Sounds like public health? Sounds like the best of humanity. No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. And it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decide to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. We didn't have independent science. We had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus. Not once. Not once. Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain-of-function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much.
Conspiracy Spillovers and Geoengineering. From that report, geoengineering techniques such as solar radiation management, for those who don't know what that is, that means putting jet aircraft in the skies that spray particulate dispersions that spread out, disperse, and haze out the whole sky, exactly like what you see on so many days, they say could be part of a future technology portfolio to limit global temperature change. However, the Caltech report says there is public opposition to research and deployment of SRM technologies. I wonder why. They continue, we use English language tweets, almost a million of them, the report says, containing geoengineering globally over 13 years, 2009 to 2021, to explore public emotions, perceptions, and attitudes towards solar radiation management using natural language processing, deep learning, and network analysis. We find, the report says, that specific conspiracy theories influence public reactions toward geoengineering, especially regarding, quote, chemtrails, the non-science term, which we avoid at geoengineeringwatch.org. That's the instant marginalization term. Okay for a private conversation, not for media, not for an elected official, not for any academic community. They continue, whereby airplanes allegedly spray poison or modify the weather through, quote, contrails. Think of the level of this deception. This is from Caltech. Pretending that those are, quote, contrails we see in our sky. We have up-close film footage of these aircraft, nozzles visible, spraying dispersions on and off. We have lab tests from all over the globe with climate engineering elements in them. We have every government on the globe saying we need to put jets in the sky to spray particles of the exact elements we find, every science community in the world discussing this, and all of them yet pretending it's not going on. The Caltech report continues, furthermore, conspiracies tend to spill over, shaping regional debates in the UK and the USA, India and Sweden, and connecting with broader political considerations. They finish with this, we also find that positive emotions rise on both the global and country scales following events related to SRM governance and negative and neutral emotions increase following SRM projects and announcements of experiments. Finally, we also find that online toxicity shapes the breadth and spillover effects, further influencing anti-SRM views. Guess who helped to fund this study? They acknowledge in this report support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. What a surprise. This is so-called academia, the so-called experts, that we are programmed from birth to blindly believe, and there is no honor in them, no morality, with very few exceptions. They toll the line for those who provide their paychecks and pensions. Total moral bankruptcy. And for all those that believe they can just ignore the insanity, just ignore the converging catastrophes that are closing in from every direction, and everything will magically work itself out. Good luck with that. You'll need it. You're listening to the weekly installment of Global Alert News, the bad news broadcast, installment number 408, June 3rd, 2023. This is Dane Wigington, your host. Global Alert News is brought to you by geoengineeringwatch.org, the largest and most visited website in the world on the subject of climate intervention operations known as geoengineering. The commercial-free, non-political Global Alert News Hour is now broadcast on 22 AM and FM stations throughout the country. All recent recordings of this broadcast can be found on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org under the recent column. Geoengineering Watch wishes to express our deepest gratitude to those that have helped us to expand our reach and thus our voice in this desperate last hour effort to sound the alarm. If you're on our email list, please put us on your email contact book so that our mail outs don't go to the spam files. Please help us to share the groundbreaking documentary, The Dimming, which fully exposes the climate engineering atrocities with inarguable proof. 
the best way to share is by circulating the direct link to the dimming by email directly from the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Sharing directly helps us to overcome social media censorship. When viewing our YouTube of the dimming or Global Alert News or any other Geoengineering Watch video on YouTube, please subscribe, share, and comment, all of which helps us to circulate critically important data to a much wider audience. About reaching those that still aren't looking up, our awareness materials at geoengineeringwatch.org. These are extremely high-quality printed materials, and we pass these printed materials on for less than our total cost of printing and shipping. Our only goal to get them into circulation as fast as possible while it can still do some good. We have to change course now. We have nothing left to salvage. We also have shirts and hoodies, which strike up conversations very well. That's on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org also. These are conversation starters. We have scannable business cards, bumper stickers, also effective tools to strike up a conversation on the climate engineering issue. Left column, homepage, geoengineeringwatch.org. These are tools to help us move this fight forward, and we need to move it forward as fast as we possibly can because the sand in the hourglass is running out by the day. Waking the masses to the climate engineering onslaught is the great imperative of our time. If we can expose it, we can stop it from the inside out. That is the only way forward in this fight. This battle is a team effort. If we can awaken the masses, we could yet alter the equation in the right direction, even at this late hour. My deepest gratitude to all those who are steadfastly committed to this must-win fight for everything that we hold dear. Stay tuned for input on how to make your voice heard. Moving on, if you want to see a short but extremely hard-hitting expose of the world's most famous geoengineer laying out his plans for humanity... Seven-minute, extremely hard-hitting video. Look at the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org under the recent column. Here's the title. Most famous geoengineer. His quote, it's really not a moral hazard. It's more like free riding on our grandkids. Take a look if you can stomach it. There are many film clips from many conferences, all of them very damning. Pressing on from theconversation.com, farmers face a soaring risk of flash droughts in every major food-growing region in coming decades, new research shows. That is the schedule, whether that is the warning that they are going to continue to hammer agricultural production. And that's not to say we haven't damaged the planet in many other ways, and that that isn't causing problems as well. It is, but when you intentionally interfere with the system, that is the biggest and most dangerous problem of all because the planet cannot respond to the damage already done. This report says flash droughts develop fast, and when they hit at the wrong time, they can devastate a region's agriculture. Yeah, we know about that happening all over. Look at the presentation I did almost a decade ago. Engineer drought catastrophe target California, and decide for yourself if what I said in that video isn't exactly what happened up until this year when the geoengineers obviously changed the script. Bombarding the West with toxic rain and toxic frozen material that I won't dignify by calling it snow. Chemically nucleated frozen material. Continuing with this report, it says that the flash droughts are becoming increasingly common as the planet warms. No surprise when you add climate engineering to the mix far worse still. They then say, quote, the lack of rain during a flash drought can further contribute to the feedback process. That's not hard to figure out. The less it rains, the less it's going to rain. Forests die. Forests are responsible for much of the precipitation. People think that forests grow where it rains, but rain falls where the forests grow. It's all connected. Sudan is a harbinger of what's coming. Africa, weather warfare operations have gone on for decades. That's how you bring populations to their knees and force their governments to allow military occupation like AFRICOM. The network of U.S. military bases throughout Africa. It's called Empire. But again, not to worry. The so-called science community says they'll save us from the damage technology has already inflicted on the planet with even more technology. Because that's working out so well so far, right? 
From contextnews.com, drought fuels water conflict in France and Spain as farmers face fury. Climate engineering, drought deluge scenarios, the hallmark of climate engineering operations. With that in mind, from PBS.org, Iran and the Taliban exchange heavy gunfire in conflict over water rights on Afghan border. Don't see a lot of this on Matrix Media News in the U.S., do we? Nothing but political idiocy, theater, scripted theater designed to distract and divide and polarize populations, and it's working oh so well while they have no idea of the oncoming train that's about to eliminate the life they knew. The PBS report states, the Taliban and Iran exchange heavy gunfire on the Islamic Republic's border with Afghanistan, sharply escalating rising tensions between the two nations amid a dispute over water rights. We already know the leader of Iran in years past on the floor of the UN stating NATO was blocking their precipitation, weather warfare. All the Middle Eastern countries that were to be targeted immediately after 9-11 all underwent a once-in-1,000-year drought. And that's not coincidence. It's not nature. It's climate engineering. Destabilize food production for populations. You destabilize those de- populations and you make them much easier to manipulate. From DW.com, climate change could cut off the Panama Canal. From that report, to see the economic consequences of global warming, look no further than the Panama Canal. Their water levels are down because of less rain in Central America. Experts feel ordinary consumers may end up paying the price. In every arena, drought and deluge scenarios wreaking havoc. From the WashingtonTimes.com, State Farm will no longer insure homes and businesses in California due to fire risks and costs. You'd think State Farm representatives would care about climate engineering, wouldn't you? No, they don't. I've talked to them. They're not allowed to talk about that issue. Thus, they won't. Bad for their careers. Which, for the record, won't matter for much longer. You can quote me on that as well. If the bee disappeared off the surface of the globe, then man would only have four years of life left. No more bees, no more pollination, no more plants, no more animals, no more man. Who said that? Albert Einstein, not many bees around, fewer all the time. You wonder what's happening to the bees? Many things happening, all of them related to human activity, but search bees aluminum. What no one wants to talk about, the bees are dying of massive aluminum exposure, thousand miles away from industry. How's that happening? Primary element climate engineering patents, aluminum nanoparticles. What a surprise. But environmental toxins aren't the only things killing the bees. What part might governments be playing? From New Zealand, from a journalist that I hold in very high regard, Robin Wistinra. His report, Murder by Policy, Killing the Bees. From the report, the beekeeper tested all of his bees for Verona mite, which is the parasite that the government is supposedly concerned about eradicating. And all these tests came back negative. Yet the government agency still authorized the burning of all 17 of his hives with petrol. Even after proving his hives were free from the mites, the DPI, the government agency, still insisted on destroying them without performing their own testing to verify what the beekeeper had told them. This is the Australian government, by the way, and it seems that they are trying to stop pollination and intentionally attack the food supply of so many people. So many factors killing what nature needs and what the human race needs to continue to sustain itself. We have an insane paradigm of the military-industrial complex that is literally a snake eating its own tail at this point, with those at the top willing to destroy everything 
as the parable says, so that they can rule over the ashes. And that is the path we are on. From LiveScience.com, mystery pathogen is stripping sea urchins of their flesh and turning them into skeletons, and is spreading fast. From this report, a mysterious epidemic that began in the Mediterranean at the start of the year looks set to wipe out all the Mediterranean and Red Sea urchins and possibly their coral reefs as well. For those that aren't already aware, coral reefs all over the world are dying. The oceans as a whole are dying. And let's not forget the flesh-eating bacteria that's now a danger around the shores of Florida and the Gulf Coast. Perhaps all that Fukushima-radiated water that Japan's about to dump into the Pacific will kill everything off. If it's not dead already. What a circus of insanity it all is. New from TheAtlantic.com, the uphill battle to save the West's kelp. Oops, too late. The same with Australia and Tasmania. The kelp forests, a former world of mesmerizing beauty and life where I spent so many hours over so many years, are 95% gone. 95%. And they're claiming we're going to save this somehow? When the oceans die, we will follow. But in spite of kelp forests dying all over the world, we have this new headline from the UK Guardian. Seaweed could avert food crisis caused by extreme weather. We are truly drowning in a sea of insanity. This narrative that I just covered is parallel to the narrative that we can just fill our skies with jet-sprayed toxic filth and prevent total collapse of the environment and climate somehow. How's that working out? Let's find out. Here's another example of how it's working out from phys.org. Some very bad news. Warming climate could turn ocean plankton microbes into carbon emitters. New research finds that a warming climate could flip globally abundant microbial communities from carbon sinks, the biggest ones on the planet, by the way, to carbon emitters, potentially triggering climate change tipping points. The findings are published in Functional Ecology. The findings mean that as temperatures increase, these highly abundant microbial communities could change from having a net cooling effect on the planet to a net warming effect. Too late. Already happening. The same has happened with forests, tropical and boreal. They have gone from carbon sinks to carbon sources. There are feedback loops triggered all over the world, as many as 50, that are now fueling a runaway climate collapse scenario. Climate intervention operations, again, core to this whole equation, not the only factor. I stress that. Please don't claim that anywhere where anyone has any education of what we're doing to the planet. We've been horrible stewards of the planet. All of it is a part of this equation. That being said, again, there can be no legitimate discussion about climate, anything from any perspective without first and foremost addressing climate engineering. And back to the plankton. What factor are they not mentioning? It's not just the warming. It's the intense UV radiation that is frying the plankton because they have to feed in the upper layers of the water column and the UV is killing them greatest factor destroying the ozone layer is climate engineering. None of this mentioned from these so-called scientists in every arena, half-truths at best, often less than half-truths. And we're expected to believe the so-called experts. From Don.com, Shanghai recorded its hottest May in 100 years. On Monday, the city's meteorological service announced shattering the previous high. It's the hottest day, period. They always state things in a way that makes it seem like it's happened before somewhere in the distant past. That way people don't feel quite as alarmed. And that's the point. From CNN, wildfires in Nova Scotia now are out of control, forcing thousands of people from their homes. 16,000 to be exact. So we have Western Canada on fire, Eastern Canada on fire, the north of Siberia on fire. And yet we have places like 
Southern California, San Diego, that's very unusually cool. We had snow in the Southern California mountains three weeks ago, something like that. I did a radio show in San Diego this week, and the host of that broadcast was very perplexed at why it's so cold, cold, cold in San Diego. In fact, with ocean surface temperatures, the only anomalously a below normal region is off of the North American Southwest Coast. That's climate engineering. When you have these incredibly anomalous cool zones on a world that's in total meltdown, and those cool zones are the most populated portions of the richest nations where they want to pacify those populations as long as possible. Again, chemical ice nucleation, cloud seeding, they pump moisture in, they nucleate it, you get a cold freezing drizzle, cold surface layer. When the clouds clear, you often see the climate engineering operations going on overhead. Of course they're climate engineering. Of course they have been. For three quarters of a century, do we think they're going to ask our permission first? Like they asked our permission to detonate 2,400 nuclear bombs contaminating everything on Earth? I hear from so many people they wouldn't do this to themselves. They already have in so many ways it would be difficult to quantify. They're power addicts. They don't care what it takes to retain that power until the brutal bitter end, and that's exactly where we're headed. Next headline. Unprecedented Nova Scotia wildfires expected to worsen. Officials warn from ABC.com wildfires in eastern Canada affecting air quality in major U.S. cities, pushing that air south, often spraying over the top of that smoke canopy, which contains a lot of moisture, by the way, that many people don't realize smoke contains moisture. And they can create a cold insulator by chemically nucleating the moisture in the smoke canopy. That's how desperate they are. Search wildfires serve geoengineering agenda for a shocking expose of how that puzzle piece fits into the overall equation. From multiple sources, amid heat wave, over 100 wildfires blaze across Israel. Even in that small country, meltdown. But there's more. New from the UK Guardian, firefighters tackle Highlands wildfire that may become the UK's largest ever. Do we hear about any of this on US Matrix Media? TV media? No, nothing. Just 24-7 scripted political theater. From MDPI.com, lightning ignited wildfires beyond the polar circle. In the Arctic Circle, burning wall, Southern California is wondering why it's so cold. From AISADOTMarketing.com, forest fire smoke drifts into Russian capital amid heat wave in Russia. Climate engineering operations are a core factor fueling wildfires. Not the source of ignition, That's a secondary subject, but they are the factor that's setting the template for these fires to burn with such ferocity, and it's it's part of the geoengineering agenda. Again, wildfires serve geoengineering agenda, search that title. The smoke from these fires is destroying the ozone layer, along with the geoengineering atmospheric spraying operations. With that in mind, from NewScientist.com, chemicals used to make decaf coffee are contributing to ozone damage. Stop and think about that one. Put this in the category of hairspray cans destroyed the ozone layer. Don't worry about the geoengineering jet aircraft, the military tanker carrying 100 tons of highly toxic particulates into the atmosphere with every single payload. Tens of millions of tons per year. Don't pay attention to that. It's your decaf coffee and hairspray cans. That's the problem. Again, planetary asylum. From National Geographic, Japan is poised to release nuclear wastewater into the Pacific. How worried should we be? Obviously, very, very worried. Anybody that pretends this isn't a problem is completely asleep at the wheel. They say they plan to gradually discharge more than a million tons of treated water from the crippled Fukushima nuclear plant. And this is deeply divided nations and scientists. There's no ambiguity. 
They're dumping nuclear waste into the Pacific Ocean on top of everything else that's already there, on top of the climate engineering elements being dumped into oceans all over the world and on top of us. Now they're doing this. And for those that don't know, there's three nuclear meltdowns at Fukushima. There's no technology to fix it. There's no end in sight. It's just the beginning. Chernobyl, the sarcophagus is disintegrating. That's going to be a problem again soon. And there's 440 more nuclear plants. Many of them should have already been decommissioned. They're old, dilapidated, outdated, but they're being kept online out of total desperation by the human race. And we're building 60 more right now. When Fukushima by itself will be an extinction level event on the planet if other factors don't do the job first, which is the more likely scenario. Yes, technology is certainly saving us. From PHYS.org, secret industry documents reveal that makers of PFAS Forever chemicals covered up their health dangers. Should that be any surprise at all? The report says the chemical industry took a page out of the tobacco playbook when they discovered and suppressed their knowledge of health harms caused by exposure to PFAS Forever Chemicals, according to an analysis of previous secret industry documents by the UC San Francisco researchers. A new paper published in May 31st, 2023, in the Annals of Global Health examines documents from DuPont and 3M, the largest manufacturers of PFAS Forever Chemicals. The paper analyzes the tactics the industry used to delay public awareness of the PFAS toxicity. For how long? Nearly 50 years. And we now know that these forever chemicals are in everything, every single drop of rain. I've been over that in previous broadcast. This is business as usual for the matrix and those who run the matrix. If you think they care at all about you or your posterity, think again. We have societies and institutions that pretend to be trying to stop human diseases and that kind of carnage while at the same time fueling the problem. True definition of... Corruption, criminality, and insanity. From ecowatch.com, same theme. Soil analysis in New Hampshire finds higher levels of PFAS forever chemicals than previously thought. Everything is worse than they thought. It's worse than they were willing to tell us. Now they can't hide it. Stated that in this broadcast more times than I could ever even remember. What's our government going to do about it? New this week, U.S. Supreme Court guts wetlands protections. What a surprise. The so-called civilization collapses so does any semblance of sanity if there ever was any from the economist.com can carbon removal become a trillion dollar business it's all about money isn't it how much will that matter even if you have the shiny yellow metals how much will that matter on a dead planet not at all and we are so perilously close to that point from wired.com antarctic sea ice is at record low levels is it an alarming shift question mark why would they even ask that question? Of course it is. When the planet loses its air conditioning system, we're done. The report then states, scientists are watching with bated breath to see if ice will return to normal levels. The planetary consequences could be huge. Now, there's no could, may, might. They already are huge. And how is the ice going to magically return to normal levels? With climate engineering operations, with sea surface chemical ice nucleation, which they are doing. We have satellite imagery of this. At geoengineeringwatch.org under the engineering winter section, they are only making an already bad situation exponentially worse. When they chemically nucleate the sea surface, that is putting, in essence, a cap on the heat in the oceans, not allowing it to escape. It's a way of hiding the total extent of Arctic ice meltdown, but making the situation worse overall. But they don't care about the consequences. Again, this is the pharmaceutical industrial approach for planet Earth. How many... Big pharma commercials do we see on Matrix Media 
that state what symptom they claim to be treating and you hear the downstream list of consequences of so-called side effects and you wonder who would be actually willing to take that product. But people do because they're taught and trained from birth to blindly accept what the so-called experts tell them to do. More headlines on the cryosphere, the Earth's ice deposits, which are disappearing rapidly. New from SmithsonianMag.com, satellites show warming tides melting a massive Greenland glacier. The finding could mean that past predictions of sea level rise from glaciers should double again. Way worse than they thought. Way worse than we were told. Global predictions for sea level rise so far have captured just the tip of the iceberg, the report says. A vicious cycle emerges feedback loop again. Warming waters eat away at glaciers, which contributes to sea levels rising higher. This brings glaciers into more contact with the ocean, which leads to even more melting. Feedback loop. There are about 50 in play right now. More headlines, same theme. Another new record low Antarctic sea ice extent. Another headline, Arctic sea ice, now at record low levels. Global sea ice extent, that's all sea ice, is at record low levels. How many try to convince themselves that this is a great thing? They can perhaps soon take a carnival cruise to the North Pole and do some snorkeling up there. No, not the case. We lose the cryosphere. We lose the ice deposits of the planet. The planet will superheat immediately, releasing formerly frozen deposits of methane, clathrate, and hydrate from tundra and the seafloor. Game over. Venus syndrome. At blinding speed. If you don't know what this is, again, it's not a metaphor. Search geoengineeringwatch.org Venus Syndrome. Understand, this is the track we are on. It's not a metaphor. We have decimated the planet. Climate engineering, the biggest single part of the puzzle, but by no means the only piece. There are so many forms of human activity that have affected the energy balance of the planet, and we have obliterated it completely. If by our collective efforts we could expose and halt the climate engineering insanity and allow the planet to respond on its own to the damage done, we would at least buy time, and that's worth fighting for. On the subject of fighting, about the U.S. holiday earlier this week, on which Americans pretend that their country stands for freedom and democracy. From the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics, this waste, greed, and fraud, the business that makes the world's greatest army. Let's correct that headline. Big doesn't mean great. The report states the narrative of mass waste and a misallocation of American taxpayer dollars runs deep throughout the post-9-11 military spending. Went way before that, by the way. Of the billions that have been poured into the bolstering of the United States and allied militaries, much has gone towards a broken military contracting system that is riddled with fraud and authoritative negligence. It goes back far before 9-11. That is how the entire system is built. Corrupt to the core. How many ever stop to consider that America was the only country in the world to use nuclear weapons and use them on hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians? How many stop to remember that? And for all those that are programmed to think dichotomously like simplistic George Bush statements, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists, please widen your field of vision. Our country and all the self-proclaimed patriots in it need to take a good long look in the mirror. Are other countries and governments better? No. They're just on a smaller scale. Consider the following from Mark Twain's profound essay titled As Regards Patriotism. It is agreed, Twain said, that in this country a man can arrange his religion so that it perfectly satisfies his conscience. Patriotism is merely a religion, love of country, worship of country, devotion to the country's flag and honor and welfare. In absolute monarchies, it is furnished from the throne 
cut and dried to the subject. In England and America, it is furnished cut and dried to the citizen by the politician and the newspaper. The newspaper and politician manufactured patriot often gags in private over his dose, but he takes it, and he keeps it on his stomach the best he can. Blessed are the meek. Sometimes, Twain states, in the beginning of an insane, shabby political upheaval, the patriot is strongly moved to revolt, but he doesn't do it. He knows better. He knows that his maker would find out. The maker of his patriotism, the windy and incoherent $6 sub-editor of his village newspaper, and that editor would bray out in print and call him a traitor. And how dreadful that would be, Twain states. It makes him a.k.a. the self-proclaimed patriot, tuck his tail between his legs and shiver. Turn traitor to keep from being called traitor. Isn't it true? You know it to be true. Isn't it curious, Twain states. He continues, yet it was not a thing to be very seriously ashamed of. A man can seldom, very, very seldom, Twain says, fight a winning fight against his training. The odds are too heavy against it. For many a year, perhaps always, the training of the two nations, Twain is referring to the U.S. and the U.K., had been dead against independence in political thought, persistently inhospitable toward patriotism manufactured on a man's own premises. Patriotism reasoned out in the man's own head and fire assayed and tested and proved in his own conscience. The resulting patriotism was a shop-worn product procured at second hand. The patriot did not know just how or when or where he got his opinions. Neither did he care so long as he was with what seemed the majority, which was the main thing for the so-called patriot, the safe thing, the comfortable thing. Twain then says, Does the listener believe he knows three men who have actual reasons for their pattern of patriotism and can furnish them? Let him not examine unless he wants to be disappointed. He will be likely to find that his men got their patriotism at the public trough and had no hand in its preparation themselves. The final excerpt from Twain's essay. There is nothing that training cannot do. Nothing is above its reach or below it. It can turn bad morals to good, good morals to bad. It can destroy principles. It can recreate them. It can debase angels to men and lift men to angelship. It can do any one of these miracles in a year or even six months. Then men can be trained to manufacture their own patriotism. They can be trained to labor it out in their own heads and hearts and in the privacy and independence of their own premises. It can train them to stop taking it by command. I can never count or recall how many times I've been accused of being anti-patriotic because I'm willing to call this country what it is a completely out-of-control criminal empire that's run by a money-printing criminal cabal which masquerades as a legitimate government. I am at times accused of not caring for our military brothers and sisters, but that's not true. I gave to DAV and VFW for over 20 years. I worked as a volunteer rehabbing horribly wounded Vietnam vets that made my heart bleed. But that doesn't change the fact that they sacrificed life and limb fighting for empire, not freedom and democracy. Going back in time far further, from my Choctaw ancestry, the Trail of Tears, they broke all their promises except one. They promised to take our land, and they did. The Trail of Tears, for those who don't know, was an ethnic cleansing and forced displacement of approximately 60,000 people of the five civilized tribes between 1830 and 1850 by the United States government as part of the Indian removal members of the Cherokee, 
Muscogee, Seminole, Chickasaw, and Choctaw nations were forcibly removed from their ancestral homelands in the southeastern United States to newly designated Indian territories west of the Mississippi River after the passage of the Indian Removal Act in 1830. The Cherokee removal in 1838, the last forced removal east of the Mississippi, was brought on by the discovery of gold in Georgia in 1828, resulting in the Georgia Gold Rush. The relocated people suffered from exposure, disease, and starvation while en route to their newly designated Indian Reserve. Thousands died before reaching their destinations, or shortly after. Some historians have said that the event constituted a genocide. Of course it was, under the guise of making America great. Why are we here? For what purpose did the Creator intend our existence? To acquire and consume? Or something far more profound, far more purposeful, to be a part of an inconceivably miraculous web of life. The relentless dedication of an ant that I observed in the woods for almost 30 minutes this week. While in the forest a few days ago, I took a moment to sit in a fallen tree, one of many dead trees in the forest now. I stopped to have a bite, and an oat kernel fell from my granola bar to the forest floor. A foraging ant found it, and recognizing that this kernel of food would benefit his community, he set about the Herculean task of single-handedly carrying this cargo home, though it was many times larger than he. The seconds and minutes passed as my newfound friend, still hoisting the old kernel, struggling through, over, and around all the obstacles that laid before him on his journey home. He was on a mission, Relentless, undaunted by any challenge he faced. He never yielded, even for a moment. He knew what his obligation to the whole was, and he was completely committed to it. Inches in his trek became feet. Feet became yards. He soldiered on. I was mesmerized by this ant, courageous and completely committed to his colony. I was deeply inspired by him. Was I observing a lesser form of life, or perhaps, in regard to benevolence, one that was superior. Again, I ask, why are we here? For what point, for what purpose, if not to play our individual part for the good of the whole? Pretending that electing a particular political puppet of any stripe matters is to miss the point. It's all theater. If what is occurring in our skies is allowed to continue, all other causes and concerns will soon be moot points. If we can fully expose and halt the atmospheric spraying and frequency transmission assaults, we would at least buy time, and that's worth fighting for. This battle will take all of us. Whatever our individual circumstances, we can do something. Something to help stoke the fires of awareness and awakening. Sharing credible data from a credible source is key. Check the activist suggestions link on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org for specific details on how you can help to move this fight forward. Make your voice heard. Make every day count. Time is not on our side. Until next week, this is Dane Wigington from geoengineeringwatch.org.